All right, we're working through the book of Mark. If you, if you have your Bible, open up to Mark chapter 12. We're going to be uh, nearing the end of Mark chapter 12, starting today uh, in verse 28. And what's been going on in the book of Mark up most recently is Jesus is in Jerusalem. He's in the last week of his life. Now, everyone around him doesn't know this is the last week of his life, but he knows this is the last week of his life. And so he's in the temple, uh, the house of God, his home, and he's setting things right. You know, that they began his work in the temple by overturning tables and casting out people who were uh, making uh, just, just crazy profits off of religion, and he casted all those people out of there and drove them away. And then he began um, receiving people who would come with questions. And these weren't people with good-intentioned questions. These were people who had questions to try to catch Jesus in some sort of um, you know, lie or some sort of teaching that might get him in trouble. And so he, he, he was fending off questions from all of the religious leaders of the day. You know, the, the way the Jewish uh, society was structured back in that day was there was a ruling body of Jews called the Sanhedrin, and they're going to become a really important figure in the next couple of chapters of the book of Mark. But the Sanhedrin was where you would go, and it was kind of the supreme court of the Jewish law. And there was different factions inside of that, and there was Pharisees who were religiously um, very legalistic, and there were Sadducees who were a little more power-hungry but still uh, knew the Scriptures well, and, and there was scribes, the other group. And those were the three major groups inside of this uh, Jewish Supreme Court that we will call the Sanhedrin, okay? And so Jesus has dealt with an attack by the Pharisees. Remember, the Pharisees come up to, to, to Jesus along with the Herodians, and they say, hey, should we pay taxes or not, right? Thinking that if Jesus takes one side or the other, that he's going to alienate a group of people, and then that, that'll cause him some problem, and Jesus responds in a way um, that they can't respond to him, right? He responds in a wise way. He is God, after all. And they go away, and they're a little bit disappointed because Jesus has fended off that faction of the Sanhedrin. Then the second faction of the Sanhedrin shows up, and it's the, the Sadducees. And the Sadducees ask a question about their personal hobby horse, the thing they care most about, which is the resurrection. They deny the resurrection, so they give Jesus this weird gotcha question about uh, this woman, and she's married, and her husband dies, and marries a brother, and he dies, and another brother, and seven brothers all marry this same woman. And at the end of the seven brothers, um, whose wife is she going to be when she dies and enters into this resurrection that they don't believe in? And they think they've got a gotcha question. They think they've got Jesus exactly where they want him. But Jesus, again, being God and being infinitely wise, responds in a way um, that they walk away and they're marveling at his wisdom. So he fends off that branch of, of the Sanhedrin. And now we come to the final branch of the Sanhedrin, which are these scribes. And scribes are, uh, it's an interesting thing. They're experts in the law. They knew all the laws. You know, there were, there were 613 laws in the Old Testament. Um, and some were positive laws, like do this, and some were negative laws, like don't do this. So like the Ten Commandments, you know, has both of those in there, right? Um, you know, honor your father and your mother. That's a positive law. It's not don't dishonor your parents, right? But it also has do not steal, right? And so you have a negative law there. And the scribes knew all 613 laws, and they had them categorized and organized, and they understood which laws were, uh, were, were weightier than other laws, because not all laws are equal. We see that today, right? If I'm, if I'm speeding, uh, which I do from time to time, right, that's different 
than murdering, right? I mean, now, 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 you could kill someone while speeding, and that's a reason that speeding is, is, a, is a law, right? It's safety for other people. But if I was to just, just go out and decide to, to, to kill someone, right, that, that would be a different classification of laws, right? We have civil laws, and we have criminal laws, and we have misdemeanors, and ABC misdemeanors, and I think it's CVA, by the way, if you're working up the chart. Uh, of, of criminality, and then you have uh, felonies, and you have capital offenses. You have all sorts of laws, and they're weightier, and the scribes had it all figured out. They had the charts, and the graphs, and the books, and they understood this law is most important, this is second most important, or these laws are the important laws. These laws are important, but they're not quite as important, and these laws are kind of like make sure you don't wear clothes with two different types of fabric weaved together, right? Like laws that are down lower on the chart. And so the scribes come to Jesus, and one scribe in particular comes to Jesus, and this seems sort of like a personal encounter, but he comes to Jesus on his personal hobby horse, and this is what he says, picking up in verse 28 to question the Son of God. He says, and one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that Jesus had answered them well, he asked him, which commandment is the most important of all. Okay, so he's asking which of the commandments of all the 613 commands that God has laid out uh, in the Torah and in the Old Testament, of the 613 commandments there are, which one commandment is the most important? Now, I have five and three quarters children, right? And if you were to ask me which of my children is, is uh, you know, you know, like the most special to me or the most precious to me, right? that should be a hard thing for me to answer, right? Uh, some of you would not choose if I asked you to choose between your children. Now, if I got your children together and said, which one is mama's favorite, they would answer right away, right? They all know who mama's favorite is. I, I, Annie told me that this week, right? She went through who daddy's favorite was and who mommy's favorite was, and um, right, right? It's, it's Jake, by the way, for mama, and it's Annie for daddy. That's just in case you're wondering how that works. Doss, I'm sorry, man. You're stuck in the middle. But, right? Right? It's a difficult, and I don't know if that's true, by the way. I'm sure you love all your kids equally. But they come to Jesus, and they ask Jesus this question, right? And the question is, which of the commandments is the greatest? So, like, in the list that we're making, uh, when, what do you say is the most important? We ask these questions. We like these, like, uh, these overarching questions, these mega questions. Who is the best baseball player of all time, right? And we could have a debate on who the best baseball player of all time is. Maybe you would say Babe Ruth. Maybe you would say Willie Mays. Maybe you would say Ruben Sierra. You probably wouldn't say Ruben Sierra, but maybe you would, right? Right. You can come up with anything you want. Maybe you'll go back and say Cy Young or Tom, Tom Seaver or whatever. Or you can go to basketball, right? I've had debates about the best basketball player of all time because you have LeBron James, who is this transcendental player going on right now. And how do we judge him against Michael Jordan? And how do we judge them against... You know, the Wilt Chamberlains who were freaks against everyone else in their day and age, right? And so it's difficult. Well, we like those questions. Those questions make for good conversation. And so we have those questions, right? We deal with those from time to time. We enjoy them. And so he asked Jesus, which commandment is the greatest of all the commandments? This is sort of a gotcha question, but not really. He may just really be inquiring. So you, you've answered all these people well. What do you say is the most important thing that you're supposed to do? So Jesus responds in verse 29, and he says, The most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater 
than these. And so Jesus goes back and they ask, what's the greatest commandment of all time? And he doesn't say, don't murder, right? That's not the most important commandment. He doesn't say, um, to, you know, like the first commandment, right? To, to honor Lord your God, right? Have no other gods except him. He doesn't go, go back there. He doesn't say, honor your father and mother. He doesn't say, don't commit adultery, right? The greatest commandment, according to Jesus, comes from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And it is the very first scripture verse that Jewish children learned back then. And I think even today, if you were to go to Hebrew school and you were to learn Hebrew, they would start you in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and they would, you would recite this exact passage, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord, He is one. It is the foundational principle inside of Jewish life, right? That God is one, this idea of monotheism, right? That's a unique feature of uh, the Hebrew religion. There weren't a lot of monotheists back when, when Moses was, was receiving the law, right? There was a whole lot of paganism and multiple gods and sun god, moon god, earth god, tree god. Not a lot of people who said there is one God and that one God's name is the Lord, right? And, and, and that's what Jesus says. There is one God. And because there's one God, we should love him supremely. This is the first commandment, right? This is the, the great commandment. If you're going to live your life according to the will of God, you have to start here. You should love your God, what does he say? With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And, and there's points to each of those, right? Your heart is the seat of your emotions, and your volitional will, and your mind is your intellect, and your strength is your, all that you have, your power, your ability to do things. But the truth is, what, what that verse is saying in the Old Testament, what it's saying in the New Testament when it's recounted, is everything that you have, every, every bit of you, should be fully devoted to loving God. Every single breath that you take should be given in, in, in a sacrifice of worship to that God. Everything we have should be committed to showing our love for that God. It is a supreme love. right? Because God loved us supremely, we love Him in return that that love should 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 affect what we do for a living what we do nine to five monday through friday like we should have that career and we should work through that career in a way that shows people our love for our lord right right the way we we, we behave with our family should 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 shine out the love that we have for god now now this is a difficult command to exercise right because we I'll speak of me because I know me a lot better than I know you. But like I struggle with keeping God there. Right? I love God. I really do. Like I have a deep abiding love for God. I try in every prayer that I pray to, to remind myself that I love God. Right? That's, it's weird sometimes and I know that's weird. It's, it's a weird sort of thing that I have, a quirk that I have when I pray. But, but when I say, you know, we love you or I love you, God, right? It's a reminder to me. That is, that is who I am because I'm not always good at it. Right? I'm really good at, at loving myself and, and in a selfish way loving myself. Right? To, to take care of myself to the detriment of other people, whether it's my family or my friends or my job or whatever. I'm really good at being selfish for myself. And so I have to remind myself constantly, God, I do love you. Help me love you better now. Like in this moment, help me. To, to, to love you better, right? We're called to love God supremely with all that we have. It should be on our lips consistently, 
right? It, it should just be the overflow of our heart that we love God so much that we can't help but express that. Now, how does it look? I mean, it, it can come out in a hundred different ways, but it should be there. People around you, if you love God, should know that you love God. And not because you're like, well, I've got a teacher that says, I love Jesus, right? I, I imagine they sell a teacher that says that, right? Right? I mean, uh, but... But it's not because of what we wear, it's because of what we are. Right? The, the, the way we talk, the way we, we interact with problems, the way we interact with celebratory events, everything that we have is bathed in that love for Jesus. I've met people who shine this out constantly. I'm, I'm, I'm in awe of their spirituality. Right, The greatest commandment, the thing that we have to do to be in a right relationship with God is we have to love Him with everything that we are. Right, with our mind's attention and our heart's affection. Right, that's how you know what you worship, by the way. What do you think about and what do you care about? And if that's not God, right, if God isn't the number one thing that you're thinking about and the number one thing that you care about, if you don't concern yourself with him and his kingdom, right, you don't really love him. You might like him. You might love what he does for you. A lot of us love what God does for us. I, my son was in a play this weekend, uh, it was a, an Aladdin play, and he was Aladdin, he's like six foot nine, and all the little kids are like two foot tall, it was really interesting. Um, but, uh, but you know, the, the story of Aladdin, right, you, you rub the lamp, the genie comes out, and you can get whatever you want from the genie, and a lot of us like that God, right? We call on him when we need him, we call on him when we've got something that's going on in our world, kind of rub that lamp we take our bible out we read a little bit we think that if we say the magic words you know that he's going to appear and then when he appears he'll he'll respond to us and that's not love guys y'all wouldn't want to be in that relationship right if you're a if you're a man in here right and the only time that your wife came to approach you to tell you that she loved you was whenever she was wanting the checkbook right? Uh, the men keep the checkbook, yeah. Um, but, you know, like, 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 if that was the only time she was coming to you was to, uh, to get something from you, or women, you can, you can imagine the situation turned right, right? Like, that, that's not love. That's selfishness. So a lot of us, we, we, we love what God does, but we don't actually love who God is, the character of God, what God is. And so, like, the, 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 the greatest commandment begins with who God is, right? He is one. Some of y'all, you need to spend some time learning who God is. Like the characteristics that make God. I said this a while back, but you know, there's books called Systematic Theology books, and they can be boring and dry to read, but there's some truth in there that, you, that is just really neat. When you open up and you start reading about who God is as found in Scripture, and you find out that God is, you know, imminent, and you find out God, that God is transcendent, and you find out that God is omnipresent, and you find out that God is good, and not good like you're good, but like legitimately good, right? There's something about going through the characteristics of God that, that, that will drive you to, to love him more because you recognize like he's the best version of what I could be and then so much more than I could ever imagine, right? And so our love for God is informed by who he is. The second commandment, Jesus follows up with. The guy didn't ask for two commandments, but Jesus is pretty good. So he says, here's the second commandment. Right? And so he goes right in there. He says, so um, you should love your neighbor as yourself, for there is no other commandment greater than these. Right? The whole law and the prophets, as it says in some, some sections of the Bible, is summed up by this law. Right? Love God, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's, that's what we're called to do. How do we love our neighbor as ourselves? Right? We, we, we think of them 
and we value them in the same way that we value ourselves. One of the reasons that I think Feed Rockville is a good ministry for the church to be involved in is it elevates our neighbor. Right? We care for ourselves. There's not a, not a day that goes by where my kids aren't provided lunch. Um, sometimes they have to fend for themselves for whatever's in the fridge or the pantry, but, but there's not a day when lunch is not provided for my children. Right? It's just not one. I, I've yet to have a day where my kids have gone without a meal um, that, that wasn't voluntarily skipped. Right? But there's people in our community right, who, who do not have the resources or, or, or whatever that to provide that. If we value our families enough to provide for them, we should value other people enough to make sure that they're provided for as well. Right? And there's something about that, to show love for our neighbor by going into the community where our neighbor lives and saying, hey, we're going to meet you where you are. We're going to meet the needs that you have because we've already met the needs that we have inside of our families. We're going to go beyond what is normal, and we're going to go into something that's extravagant because God is an extravagant God who cares for us. Right? And we love God. And then that love that, that, that fills us when we, when we give God adequate love it compels us to go love other people. Right, and you're going to have opportunities to do that this week. Right, There are people God is going to put in your life this week that you can love or not. Right, There are difficult people that are going to be in your life and you'll have an opportunity. Well, I love this person or not. Some of you work uh, nine-to-five jobs that are difficult jobs with difficult people. I know this because I've worked with difficult people before. Right, And it's tough. To love those people. Some of you have, have difficult, strange relationships with your physical neighbors or people that you're going to be in contact with this week. Are you going to shine out God's love to them or not? Because we're called to do that. There's no other law that Jesus says is, 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 is necessary for obedience. Right? There's 613 laws. He says all of them are summed up by love God right, supremely and love other people completely. And when Jesus gives this answer, the scribe whose hobby horse, right, was, 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 was knowing all the rules and organizing all the rules, right, all of a sudden this scribe recognizes this Jesus guy who answered the Pharisees and the Herodians right and the Sadducees right, he's answered me correctly. And he says in verse 32, you are right, teacher, you have truly said that he is one and there's no other beside him. And to love him with all our heart and our understanding and all our strength and to love one's neighbor uh, as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. Here's the deal with Jesus, right? He fends off all these questions, these, these gotcha questions or these questions of true sincerity, right? People think that they have Jesus on trial, Right? They think that they're the ones who are, who are in charge of like, the, the organization and the way things are going to go. Uh, I, I was in a court this week. I was sitting in, a, in the courtroom this week for some stuff, for family stuff. Um, not, not anything major. But uh, I was sitting in there, and they had other little like, cases going on. It's interesting how quick, like if you've ever, that, that used to be entertainment, right? People used to go to the courthouse and watch uh, trials go on. That was a thing back in the day before TV, I guess. But... Um, but I was in there, and so there was court cases I wasn't interested in. They weren't, they weren't part of what I, what I was doing, uh, why I was in that room. And so they go through, and I'm listening to these things. Like, I'm listening to, like, the quick little, like, check-in, probation, parole violations, whatever's going on with these. And it was juveniles uh, at the time who were going through it. And I thought, man, this is a rough, this is a, like, this kid, he, he's got a rough, rough life, everything that's gone on about him, and it was clear 
who was in charge. It was clear who the accuser was in that situation, who the prosecutor was. And sometimes it was clear who the defendant was, but oftentimes the defendant didn't say a word. He just, just took it, just, you know, whatever was going on. And they were short. I mean, it was 10, 10 minutes per, per little thing that was going on in front of the judge. But, I mean, like, I watched these things, and I thought, man, that kid, you know, that 13-year-old kid who's on probation violation for, for doing something silly, right, that kid right there, like, he's got no, he's got no power in this situation. And that's what these, these scribes and these Pharisees and these Sadducees thought they had Jesus. They thought that they were the interrogators and that Jesus was just some you know, guy who had a little following of people around him and as they peppered him with questions that they would break him down. But at the end of every single one of their attacks on Jesus, at the end of every question they had, every, every attack they had, Jesus answered them in a way that was wise, right? Answered them completely and with great wisdom, and then he turned it back on them a little bit, right? He turns things back towards them, and they realize all of a sudden, we're not in charge. This guy is coming at us with authority and power, and the authority of Jesus is what's being established in this passage. He has authority over all of the teachers of the day. All the factions of early Jewish life could not keep up with him because he truly was the Son of God, the Messiah, who was prophesied to come. And so they would answer him, uh, they would respond to what he has to say, but, but, but the whole way he was trying to drive home to them, you think you're in charge. You think you've got this stuff under control. You think you control uh, the movement of Jehovah, but you don't. I am the promised Messiah. I'm here today. And so Jesus responds back, and I love this. This is after all of them. No one dares to ask him any more questions. He has beaten back all of them, and then Jesus begins to speak. Right after he's beaten them back, he begins to speak. And Jesus taught in the temple, verse 35, and he said, How can the scribes say that Christ is the son of David? Right, the Messiah, the one who is going to come, is the son of David. That's a, uh, that was a teaching of the day, and there's some truth in there. Uh, but Jesus says, David himself in the Holy Spirit declared that the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And that's from like Psalm 110. Uh, and David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. So Jesus goes through all of these interrogations and then he stops and he says, now let's deal with these guys' misunderstandings of who, G of who the Christ is going to be. Because Jesus is beginning to point out, I have authority that no one has. I have wisdom that no one has. I've, I've demonstrated power all through his ministry. He demonstrated power that no one has ever demonstrated before him. And now he's trying to take the title of Messiah, Christ, for himself. And he goes back to Psalm 110 and he says, look, um, there's a passage in there where it says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, right? Uh, and, and the idea is that uh, the Lord, in this case, is, is, is supposed to be uh, Yahweh. And my Lord is supposed to be David. That was a, it was a coronation psalm, if you go back and read it. Um, it was written when David was taking the, the kingdom. And so David would sit underneath the, the, the leadership of, uh, of, of Jehovah Yahweh God. And that's where he was going to be. But after the kingship died out, right after 586 B.C. when the Babylonians destroyed uh, the kind of all of Jewish power, uh, in, in that area, the, this prophecy began to be, take on messianic overtones. 
And so they recognize it wasn't just about David, it was also about the Messiah. And so Jesus says, so we have this Messiah who's coming, and you say he has to be David's son, but at the same time, right, David calls him Lord. He says, how is that possible? Right? How is David's son also David's Lord? How does that work in this picture, guys? And they don't understand it. Right? They don't understand that the son of David is Jesus. If you trace Jesus' genealogy in Matthew and Luke, they both point back through David. Right? David's son, Jesus is the son of David that was prophesied, but he's more than that. Right? He's the Lord of David as well. Right? The Messiah isn't just some earthly leader who's coming to take uh, power and possession of this property uh, of ancient Israel. That's not what the Messiah is. The Messiah is the son of God, literally God, coming to earth to take over and reinvent everything that you know. Guys, that's who Jesus is. And when he responds to them and he asks them these questions, they can't respond. The crowd is taking great delight because there's nothing better than seeing the know-it-all kid in class get shut down by someone smarter. Right? I mean, I've been there, right? I've been both sides of that picture, actually. I've been the know-it-all who's been shut down by someone smarter than me. Uh, and I've been the guy who shut down people who, who think that there's something, right? It's a fun place to be. And so the whole room, the temple courts are, are, are hearing Jesus and they're rejoicing to hear him finally tell these know-it-alls um, that they don't understand what it is that they claim to understand that the Messiah is something different. Jesus is that different Messiah, the suffering Savior who came to earth to die on the cross for sins. But, but you know, he's coming back again and there's going to come a day and it's not far off like, i don't know if it's today i don't know if it's tomorrow i don't know if it's this year but i know this we are closer today to the arrival of jesus christ than we have ever been before right and there's going to come a day when that messiah the the lord right the lord of all creation is going to come again that's the day as believers we long for. And when he comes again, he's going to make all things right. He's going to separate the good from the bad. He's going to punish the wicked. He's going to exalt the righteous. There's going to be a sifting of all of creation. It's going to be a painful season. Ones we love will be sifted. We ourselves are going to go through great trials and tribulations. It's just going to be a painful time in the history of, of mankind when Jesus comes again. The world's going to experience great grief and loss, but at that coming, that second coming of Jesus Christ, uh, this picture of the Messiah is going to become so clear to the world. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Guys, today is an opportunity for us to understand that, that Jesus is a special kind of person. He's not like every other religious elite person of the day. He's not like the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the scribes of the day. He's not some sectarian leader who, who has some great teaching and principles that he has. He is the overarching God of creation. He is the word of creation. You go back into Genesis 1, and when God speaks the word and, and light emerges, or he speaks the word and nothing becomes something, Jesus is the word of creation. He makes all things new. He's doing it constantly. That word of creation came to earth, and he's not like you. He's not the best version of yourself. He's not a, he's not a pretty good guy. He is God in the flesh, and He deserves and demands your loyal love and obedience. 
And so we go back to the question the scribe asked, what is the great commandment? The question is, who will you love today? Will you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Will that be where your love is at? Or will you continue to love other things first? Look, love for family is a good thing. It's part of who we are. Right? Love for country is a good thing. It's part of who we are. Right? Love for this church is a good thing. Right? Those are all good things, but love for God supersedes those things. Hopefully it complements those things as well. Right? Hopefully as you love God, you love your spouse better, you love your church better, you love your country better. Right? Hopefully that's the case. But who will you love today and will you love well? So guys, I'm going to ask you uh, to reflect. We're going to have a, a hymn of invitation in a second. You're going to have the opportunity to, um, to come and you can join the church or you can um, rededicate your life or you can get saved. Guys, there's opportunities for you to respond to the gospel today. But for those of us who, who, who know Christ, right, we, we, we know Christ, we, we, we don't have a, a come up front decision to make, I want you to reflect today on over the last month, right, this, uh, the month of July that, that we've just closed out. If someone was to video your life, would they see that your primary love was God? And is that what they would see? If they watched the video 24 hours a day from the time you get up to the time you go to bed and brush your teeth, uh, you don't brush your teeth in bed probably, um, but, but you know that whole picture of your life, the, the, the version of your life that you are the only person who gets to see, is that what they would see? Or would they see that your primary love is your child, your hobby, yourself? Guys, and as you reflect on that, if you discover, as, 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 as I imagine some of us will discover, that our primary love isn't the Lord. I want you to figure out why that is. And for me, guys, the only reason that God like, shifts from the spot where, where he belongs in my life, the only reason he shifts from that spot is because I lose focus on what God's done, right? The reason that I love God so, so, so well when I do love God well is because I recognize what God has done, not, not only for me, but specifically for me and for the world around me, right? And that, that love, that great love that laid down its life for myself, right, while I was still a, a wretched sinner and the enemy of God that Christ died for me, right, that compels me to love him. And it gives me energy and strength to love him. Maybe that's not the case for you. Maybe you have other things going on in your life that, that help you to focus your love on God. But, but take a moment and recommit yourself to that. You know, the beautiful thing about what God has done is like he's given us another day to do this thing. Right? And I know that the second coming is coming. I don't know when it's going to be, but I know it's coming. And guys, I want to be found ready when he gets here. Right? I want, like, when God comes back, if I'm still alive, I want those 24 hours that I'm here, like the last 24 hours before that, I want God to be like, man, you were so faithful for those 24 hours. You were, you were right where you needed to be.